Everybody and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. The year is 2015. The oh planet God. Sierra is gripped by fear and is in the midst of a deep crisis. The evil terrorist group Scarlet are still a commanding force. They have the power to prevent humans traveling to and from the outside universe. Scarlet's members consist of artificial beings created using supergenetic engineering by the Sierrans. Scarlet is an underground organization that has been secretly formed with the express intention of destroying the human race. In addition to their high level of intelligence and awesome strength, Scarlet's members are equipped with parasitic abilities that allow them to live within human beings, animals, and machinery. Equipped with these abilities, they conquered the Sierrans and stand on the brink of obtaining supremacy over Sierra. Epsilon Eagle, the boss of the Scarlet Group, is the intended target of an assassination attempt being planned by Sierrans, a special combat group capable of using superpowers was secretly dispatched to carry out this mission. <laughs> Scarlet unleashed a sudden attack on Epsilon with their superpowers. Epsilon, seriously damaged by the attack, was thrown into the time-space continuum which had been activated by Scarlet's use of superpowers. With Epsilon seemingly gone forever, She-Tiger took control of Scarlet amidst the resulting confusion. With She-Tiger now in charge, the terrorist attacks be against Sierrans become became more frequent and brutal. With this increase in attacks towards Sierrans, yes, it's still going. Oh with this increase in attacks towards Sierrans, She-Tiger soon became unpopular amongst Scarlet members. As a result, the demands for the reinstatement of Epsilon as the leader of the Scarlet group became stronger. Having been isolated from the other Scarlet members, She-Tiger decided to assassinate Epsilon in an attempt to activate... I can't keep doing this. Dylan, what are you doing? <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna stop reading that, but all you need to know is that this is uh, the title screen for the game. Visual shock, speed shock, sound shock, now is time to the 68,000 heart on fire alien soldier for Mega Driver's Custom. Dylan, Dylan, what are you doing to me? <laughs> for y'all at home, Dylan has refused to tell me what this episode is about. <laughs> And then he just sprung that on me. Oh, uh, it was worth it. I've been holding on to this for, like, what, a week now? Yeah, because we were going to do this last week when your computer was full of ghosts. It still is, but we're we, making We found it a workaround, anyhow. but... Okay, uh, please explain yourself. Yes, okay. So, um, what I just read to you is the opening title crawl of Alien Soldier, a game for the Sega Genesis. Technically the Sega Me Mega Drive, because it never came out in America, but still... So, as you can probably tell, it has a lot of story, and none of it makes sense. And uh, I don't know if you know this, Chris, but uh, Alien Soldier is an action game on the Genesis, and it's it a boss It sounds familiar. Game. It sounds like something I've, like, read about somewhere. I, I've definitely played it on uh, our college choir tour bus a couple times. Oh, yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why it sounds familiar. Right. So, yes, I'm I'm sorry for uh dropping you in like that, but No, that was glorious. Alien Soldier is a game with a complicated multi-faction story that is punching way above its weight. <laughs> 
Um, and I thought that was interesting, so I wanted to talk about that. Not necessarily with Alien Soldier specifically, but uh, this idea of a game with a story that might not perfectly fit the genre that it is in. Because all this all this stuff of like She Tiger and Epsilon Eagle, what does what does that have to do with the game Alien Soldier? Surprisingly little. <laughs> And activating the space-time continuum with their magic powers. <laughs> I love it so much. Okay, so anyway, the, the thing that actually inspired this episode... Um, I, I've talked about Sin and Punishment a couple times on the show. Um, and I, I recently... Sin and Punishment for the N Nintendo 64 is one of my favorite games of all time. And I relapsed hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then not only that, but I also dusted off my Wii to uh, really take a my first deep dive into Sin and Punishment 2. Um, I've owned it since release, but this is my first time really playing the game. And much like Alien Soldier, those games have like very detailed, layered, multi-character, multi-faction conflicts, but they're action games. Uh, Sin and Punishment 1, you can beat in like an hour. So there's a lot of story but there's not really enough time to let it breathe or develop in any meaningful way so it just kind of comes across as nonsense to a lot of people because it's kind of presented like nonsense <laughs> but i i guess like yeah no I, I guess what i what i wanted to do in dropping chris into this was i wanted to i i i, I there's something interesting about that like why would they throw so many details that are not good for this medium that they have chosen. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is something, and maybe this is not entirely it, but what this reminds me of is, in a way, something like, and obviously this is not a one-to-one, -one, mm -hmm. but something like the original Metroid. Yeah. Or something like, I don't know, the original Ninja Gaiden, where like... Okay. Ninja Gaiden at least has, like, a plot that goes on as you play the game. Well, yeah, and, and to be fair, so does Metroid, but these are games that were, you know, incredibly simplistic, incredibly limited in how they could convey their story. And, you know, maybe this is not a perfect example because I have no idea when they were creating Metroid in 1987? Uh, yeah, 86 or 87. I think it was 87. Yeah, like when, when they were producing the first Metroid, who knows how much of the, like, lore and internal continuity and, like, how many ideas about what exactly, you know, the Galactic Federation or whatever it's called and the Chozo and the Space Pirates were going to kind of grow into being. Yeah. It's hard, it's hard to know from the outside how much of that was planned in advance and how much of it was like organic growth of the story as it went on it's it's my understanding that most of those details were in the super metroid nintendo power comic interesting okay yeah um i i can neither confirm nor deny that because i've only read snippets of the nintendo power comic and then also like i feel like that's something that's just a lot easier to follow as it comes out yeah Hey, uh, be on the lookout, everyone, for a potential future episode on a similar topic. Hmm. Um, but yeah, like I, it's it puts me in mind of like that era of games when you know 
there might be a lot of story idea there in the game's manual or written on the side of the arcade cabinet. Yeah, there's, the there's a lot of that, plot. Yeah, but the amount that they were actually able to translate to experiential story in the game was incredibly limited. Like, I, I don't have a lot of experience, um, you know, writing professionally, but I think if you used Alien Soldier's intro crawl as a pitch... Wait, hang on. <laughs> Everything you were reading was from the intro crawl? That's the intro crawl, dude. I'm going to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you turn on this game and you're like, ah, I'm kind of curious what this is all about, and then you're you're stuck reading star wars crawl for uh four minutes dude impossible y'all the star wars crawl is three paragraphs if you cannot fit the need to know info about your your story into three paragraphs what are you doing chris so i was also kind of uh I'm on YouTube right now watching the video, but, like, I, I had to forward Arrow to, like, try and get to read it in a way that felt natural. I'm still, like, I still have two more minutes of exposition. I didn't even get to, like, Epsilon Eagle is back and he's good now. <laughs> Impossible. This Is this the first... <laughs> this isn't breaking down, like, previously... On Dragon Ball Z. This is the first game in this... Oh, yeah. No, this... Alien Soldier is a self-contained thing. What are you doing? <laughs> and unlike Sin and Punishment, which has cutscenes in between levels, Alien Soldier has, like, two cutscenes, I think. There's a cutscene where She-Tiger transforms or whatever, but you don't know it's She-Tiger unless you beat the game and, like, when, you know, they do the little post-game, here's all the enemies and their names, you'll be like, oh, that was She-Tiger. Huh. I wasn't expecting him to be the boss of level two. You know what this makes me think of? Yeah. There or, is a no, I don't, but continue. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there is a tendency that I definitely fell into. There's a tendency in people who play tabletop RPGs, people who play Dungeons & Dragons. Mm-hmm. To when you come up with your character to over backstory them. Yeah. There is a tendency, especially I I find it among younger and newer players, because this is something I did a lot when I was like learning to play DD in high school and playing for those first few years that I was into it. There's a tendency to like you come up with your character and you 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 know what you want your character to be, and you're really excited about this cool concept for a character. And so you write up this elaborate backstory, you know, essentially laying out all of the adventures they've already been on that have led to them being this cool character that you have envisioned. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that from a, like, you know, if it is fun for you, then that's great. And, like, it's a good kind of storytelling and creative writing exercise. But that's not... Like, if you're writing a character to play in a game... And they've already had all of their coolest adventures before you start playing. <laughs> that's not going to be a fun character to actually play. And that's what this title crawl is. Like, I want to yes. watch this adventure with She-Tiger in the space-time continuum. 
Why isn't that this game? Why are you um, telling me about this cool other game that I don't get to play? I'll, I'll use a personal anecdote, um, since this episode has really just kind of got the relaxed energy of us shooting the shit anyway. Yeah, uh, the, the behind the scenes is that, that we, we recorded a, like, three and a half hour session for... Uh, the other show we're in, the unexplored places, right before recording this. So if we're a little, a little lackadaisical, that might be why. And we can check that off. We don't have to plug them in the playbill. Yeah. Let's not <laughs> no. even do the playbill. Let's just keep no. this like a breezy thirty minutes and then call it good. That's that's kind of what I was figuring when yeah. I uh, said I'm not going to tell you what the episode <laughs> is going to be. No, no, Chris, I didn't let you prepare. Now talk for an hour. Yeah, no, disgusting. <laughs> anyway, you were saying you want to. You wanted to tie this to something personal after yes. I talked about d, &D. Uh, So I guess it's funny you mentioned the unexplored places because when I was really trying to hammer down the type of character Melis was going to be, I did not write out his full backstory. But what I did do was I I, I made a Spotify playlist um, and it's, it's available. And, you know, it, it was just kind of like I was looking more for vibes and I got so caught up in like the vibes that that playlist is like three hours long um and when i when i public when i shared the playlist i was like i don't expect people to listen to the whole playlist i expect people to kind of jump around and skip around and like it's like a sample platter of like what is creative energies are kind of fueling me as i'm creating this character um however i think if i did take that playlist and said this is the soundtrack of Melis's life up until you know he joins the crew of the Pelagian that would be that that's kind of what uh the alien soldier title yeah. call kind of has yeah and I I think of it hey let's do something we haven't done in a little bit and talk about our core competency which is theater yes I think of it kind of in the same terms of like when we are analyzing a play, when we are taking mm -hmm. a script, like play, film script, voiceover script, whatever. We've talked about this before on the show, but the first thing we want to do is we want to break down like the given circumstances of the character and of the situation. And that basically just means like all of the info we have from the text about what has come before. But it doesn't mean literally every moment of all of these characters lived lives before this instance. Right. Because there is a big difference between, like, shit you need to know for the story to make sense and an entirely different story that happened to occur before this one. You don't need to know why... God, I think his name is Biff. It's been a while. Um, Why Biff in Death of a Salesman wants to be a farmer. Yeah. You don't need to know, like, pinpoint the exact moment in Biff's adolescence when he realized he didn't want to be a salesman. Yeah. Like, the actor playing Biff might come up with something like that. There are there are methods of acting that hinge on, like, you know, picking those sorts of moments and tying them to something in your life. Uh, but, like, that is not crucial to the understanding of the play. Right. You don't need to know that to, to for the rest of the story to make sense. And similarly, like you were saying, if you're making an RPG character, you don't, like, again, if it's fun for you as a creative creative exercise to, like, write out a whole backstory, then, like, hey, I'm not telling you not to, but, like, you don't need to to be able to play an RPG character well. You need, yeah. you need a vibe, you need, like, I'm a big fan 
of coming up with like a shorthand list of like go-to tactics for the characters I play in RPGs. So like it won't be an exhaustive list, but I'll come up with like if I'm playing a big brutish like barbarian type, I might be like, well, he likes to go with intimidating tactics. He likes to go with, you know, very straightforward blunt kind of approaches and then I'll like come up with a list of verbs because I'm an actor who studied that kind of methodology right and that way I just have like a quick quiver where if I'm ever at a loss of what to do I can grab something and that for me is more useful and more interesting than like well because of this moment in the backstory I've written this is how I will act in this moment but yeah that that is 100% what it seems like they've done here they've they're like hey wouldn't it be cool if you were playing this game? You're not playing this game. You're playing this game that came after the game we're describing right now. <laughs> That's um, so funny. I yeah, and I like every treasure game I've played. So at that this point, it would be both Sin and Punishment games, Ikaruga, not Radiant Silver Gun, uh, but you know, Alien Soldier, Gunstar Heroes. They all they all kind of feel like, and also Mischief Makers. They all feel like they. Uh, want the vibe of a saturday morning cartoon or you know a shonen anime they're all really kind of gunning for that vibe and so like i think that's why all those little plot details are there to kind of create this this picture um and even if like even if that's not a story that like they actually care to tell it's all about setting up the vibe of the adventure um, for example, Sin and Punishment 1 borrows aesthetically. Um, its art direction is very inspired by Neon Genesis Evangelion, and the scale and stakes feel vaguely Devilman-esque. Um, and then there was like a third thing that I was thinking of. It's not coming to mind, so I won't beat myself up over that. Um, but like, you know, the story is very confusing, but the story also has like smatterings of like human connection is hard. It's hard to be emotionally honest with yourself and stuff like that. And that is very Evangelion. And so, you know, even if like it's not done as well as Evangelion, it does kind of feed into this whole thing of like, I am playing in an alternate universe. I am playing a game adaptation of an anime that was trying really hard to ape Neon Genesis <laughs> Evangelion. One thing I want to kind of throw out there in this kind of vein is that there is a there is a difference between and it's a small difference but I think it's an important difference between something like this and something like another thing that we've talked about in the past but like your Dark Souls your yeah. Hollow Knight, your lore-heavy story-light game. And I think it's one of presentation. Mm -hmm. Like, this this title crawl is insanity. <laughs> it's But like, imagine mm -hmm. if this game... And again, this is an issue of, of, of genre that they've gone with because an action game is never going to be able to hold all of that mm -hmm. in a more organic way. But, like, if this was a more, like, kind of exploratory Metroidvania-y game and you were able to find, like... I'm going to hate using this as an example because it was, like, such the example of this for so long in game design. But, like, audio logs mm -hmm. or, like, 
rooms where important things happened or like you know that kind of exploratory storytelling storytelling yeah like scan you know metroid prime scanning the dead bodies of the space pirates yeah kind of stuff like there's there are ways to if you have this idea for this big sprawling epic that you don't have the budget to actually turn into a game there are ways to fit it into your game that are going to feel more reasonable and less like a five-minute reading assignment before you get to play. Um, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna kind of turn this conversation on its head for a brief second. Um, Alien Soldier makes no goddamn sense, and I, I, I think I we've could, done a good job of knowing establishing nothing that. else about it. I could guess that. Hey, guess what? They don't elaborate on anything. Oh my god! Once of you course press start, they don't. like yeah, again, you run into She Tiger. Um, and then you run into another thing that the text crawl kind of alludes to um, that I didn't get to uh, when I was reading it for this episode. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's no real payoff there. Um, and then there's another thing where you blow up the universe and then the space wizard sends you back in time. Don't worry about it. Yes, that is an actual thing that happens in Alien Soldier. No, I'm not making that up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Once you beat a boss, like, you, you beat a level, and then I think you blow up the planet you're on, and you're just adrift in space, and then a space wizard comes out of nowhere and sends you back to the past. Why? Who? What? No. So the, the conclusion of this game is just the phrase, a wizard did it. <laughs> no, because there's still, like, a third of the game left. I'm going to die. <laughs> And then you just kill more things, and then you you kill the big bad, who I think is named She Lion or something dumb like that, oh and God. then the game's over. <laughs> I'm so amused by this, and like again, I I think that the thing that I can't get over is like even back before the concept of a Metroidvania was a twinkle in the eye of a, a fledgling game developing company, we already knew how to get all this backstory into the games without. Uh, gumming them up. It was called the fucking manual leaflet that came with the game. I should really check to see if anyone uploaded PDFs of Alien Soldiers. Oh my god. Manual. But like, think about, and we've talked about this on the show before too. Like, this is I guess a a fucking greatest hits compilation episode. (laughs) But like, there was so much charm and heart in those, like, you know, NES, all the way up through like the GameCube PS3. Well, that was when they were start. PS3 GameCube was PS3. when they were wow, starting to die about? out. But like, I definitely remember there being instruction manuals for like the first couple years of yeah. the PS3's life cycle. With like, and yeah, they were instruction manuals, but they would frequently have like story elements and like character bios and all of this like fun flavor stuff. Oh, bro, you don't want me to bring up my Sin and Punishment Two instruction manual. <laughs> Well, now I do. All right. So for context, uh, the plot of Sin and Punishment 1 was there is a food shortage um, in the world. Scientists in Japan create these artificial animals that solve the food crisis. The artificial animals, however, go berserk. I don't know how much of Sin and Punishment's labyrinthine story I want to get into. So long story short, uh, (laughs) this was a bad idea. Long, long story short, um, there's a plot about an alien invasion, 
uh and you you beat the alien invader and you know what no i'm not going to tell you the story of sin and punishment one all you need to know is that you you beat off the alien invader phrasing i was (laughs) were you about to call me out on that yep okay love you buddy (laughs) you um you beat up the alien invader and they fuck off and they're like damn it i was really hoping i could turn humanity to my whim so i could kill god and you're like wait what (laughs) and that's that yeah sure so uh sin and punishment 2 comes out a decade later and i will read the uh instruction manual right now a lot of reading in this episode let me turn on my light so i can see properly always read in the well-lit room kids prologue our universe is divided into two dimensions inner space and outer space that are locked in an eternal power struggle (laughs) (laughs) no keep going (laughs) uh that are locked in an that are locked in an eternal power struggle in order to defend against outer space the leaders of inner space have created several planets known as earths where they cultivate aggressive life forms called humans humans act as inner space's defensive front line however the inherent emotional instability of humans is the cause of much concern for the leaders of inner space who are known as gods Every so often, humans will overcome their natural desire to destroy beings different from themselves and choose instead to live in peace. Each time humans stray from their intended purpose, the gods wipe the planet of its human population. They then create a new Earth and cultivate humanity anew. In wiping out their defensive front line, however, they give outer space an opportunity to launch an assault. So, hang on. Oh, I got so like, I got like six like... paragraphs left, but yeah, continue. Oh, Christ. <laughs> Humans are a cross between clone troopers and Osmosis Jones. <laughs> sure, yeah. Is what I'm getting from this. Basically. So, All right. <laughs> sensing and and actually I'm glad I'm reading this cuz this will give me the opportunity to talk about why despite its many many flaws. Um I actually do like Sin and Punishment's weird fucked up story. <laughs> um and I'll also talk about other games that kind of suffer from the same problem that I still end up liking. Uh sensing an opening in inner space's defenses, outer space sent a reconnaissance u- unit disguised as a human girl to inner space. The girl landed on the planet Earth 4, which is be- which had been wiped of human life by the gods. However, during the process of infiltrating inner space, the recon unit lost her memory. Her directive to investigate and document the weaknesses of humans grew vague, leaving her merely with a curiosity toward them. She drifted through the desolate ruins of Earth-4, knowing only that she felt compelled to learn more about the human race. Inner space soon detected the spy from outer space. They sent a rookie operative, Issa Joe, who is the son of the uh, main characters from the first game, to Earth-4 to destroy the recon unit. This decision sparked much controversy, controversy within the ranks of inner space's defense forces, as Issa's father's blood had been tainted by that of outer space, making Issa something not entirely human. Soon after landing on Earth-4, Issa came face-to-face with the recon unit amid the devastated remains of the planet. Issa could have destroyed her then and there, but after watching the seemingly harmless girl indulge her curiosity about humans, Issa began to question his task. He sensed a strange connection with the girl, and wondered if her natural impulses might be the most human of qualities. Instead of killing her, Issa decided to observe her for a while. 
Furious at Issa for what they perceived as betrayal, the cre- uh, for, for whatever reason, um, Nintendo of America censored gods as the creators. So, um, whatever. Uh, the creators summoned the Nebulox. Yes, that's their name. An elite group of highly trained human fighters from Earth-5. The creators ordered the Nebulox to exterminate both the alien recon unit and Issa. The Nebulox consented to this task on the condition that the humans of Earth-5 receive expanded rights and privileges. And so the hunt begins. Who is most worthy of being called human? The alien life form with an insatiable curiosity about humans? The young fighter struggling to define his own humanity? Or the fighters who wish to end the oppression of humans on Earth-5? That's a lot better than Alien Soldier, but it's still kind of like, oh, what? Oh, we're, we're what? <laughs> we're yeah. doing this? That's wild. But again, I would argue that's much better than Alien Soldier in no small part because it's not a title crawl. It also, yeah, like, it also feels like a reasonably, it, it feels like a reasonable beginning to a journey. Yeah. And like, not like. There's a lot there, but it's not as much like there was this whole fucking adventure that we're going to tell you about. Yeah. That's so real wild. Yeah, despite its many, many flaws and many, like, you you watch the cutscenes of Sin and Punishment. They're not particularly great. Yeah. But, like, there's something about Sin and Punishment that, like, there's something about its earnestness and the fact that, like, even if it isn't quite suited for the platform that it has chosen, it's still kind of works because at least there are cutscenes in sin and punishment like you can piece together a story in sin and punishment where you can't really do that in alien soldier <laughs> yeah i was gonna say it doesn't sound if if it's possible to piece together a story i will be impressed <laughs> you know what maybe that's that's a let's play we should upload to our youtube channel oh, my god i'm gonna that have to learn ridiculous. how to get good at alien soldier Oh no. It's a very difficult game. Um but yeah, I guess like the thing I I do like about Sin and Punishment uh too specifically is that like even though it's like a weird like very jarring shift from the first game in some ways in trying to make sense of that tonal shift it's like it got me thinking critically about the plot of Sin and Punishment 1. <laughs> So, good job, I guess. <laughs> um, and that, like, yeah, I guess that's the interesting thing about it is that, like, sometimes, like, you'll play an action game where, like, the plot is so fast. Like, the plot just happens so fast, but there's so much, and it is impossible to absorb it all. It almost kind of makes, you know, there's already the fun of replaying an action game. It kind of makes going through that game again and being like, all right, all right, I had to have missed something. <laughs> uh, in a way, it, the, the story does become kind of engaging just through how bad it is <laughs> or, you know, how poorly <laughs> told it is, I should say. And yeah, that, that's kind of why I brought up uh, Treasure. Treasure is the company that made Alien Soldiers and then Punishment, all those. And um, I guess I before we uh, sign off today, um, the other game series I want to talk about was I, despite this game's many flaws, I like the story to Bayonetta. And Bayonetta is like very poorly told. 
<laughs> um, I you you will have to be the expert on that. I have played the first couple levels of Bayonetta. So I I think if I could narrow it down to one thing, because I think you know Devil May Cry One doesn't have a great story, but it's simple enough to understand. Devil May Cry Three has like an unironically great story. Fuck you, fight me. Um, like you know, character action games don't necessarily have to have bad stories. I feel like that's the stereotype, but I, I, you know, I think they're fine. Bayonetta's issue is that it is a, the story is about a character with amnesia who is, he was drawn to this location to kind of discover, like, to see, because it's, it's the only lead she has to recovering her memories. Um... That's cool. The thing that's not so cool about it is the game does a very bad job of establishing, like, this is a character of Bayonetta's met before, or, you know, these are the circumstances, like, this is why this character is obsessed with Bayonetta for killing her father. Like, that. that's a plot point, and it, it happens the way it is brought to your attention is very confusing, because you're like, alright, was this before or after Bayonetta had, like, lost her memories? Is this... So, you know, all that is very confusing. Um, there's also, like, an 11th hour plot twist that, like, I think a bunch of people saw coming, but, like, it still wasn't satisfying at all. And, like, you mm. know, Bayonetta's kind of plagued with stuff like that, but I think what makes Bayonetta a story that I enjoyed, if nothing else, is in addition to the fact that, like, the story never takes itself too seriously, um, Bayonetta is, like, a very... I would I would almost call it, like, farcical uh, there's there's a lot of moments that feel very farcical in nature, um, and so it's very lighthearted. Um, all of the sexy fan service kind of adds to the comedy in a way, um, and so like it, it it all kind of builds up to this idea of like they're on they're in on the joke. They kind of know it's nonsense, but they're just reveling in it. Um, yeah, and, and there's something to be said for like earnest goofiness. Yeah, and I guess like the the one kind of thing that made me go, no, wait, Bayonetta's plot is fine. Um, I really enjoy the, uh, so, like we were talking about earlier, Bayonetta has a area you can explore. Like, um, it's a mission-based structure, but, like, the areas are open enough, and there's enough secret areas that you can explore, and you can even find, um, you know, uh, diary entries uh log notes like stuff like that that tell you the history of the island that you are visiting the history of the various like the coven of witches that bayonetta belongs to and the um order of sages that are their nemesis nemeses um and you know there even though you're uh the story the cutscenes are confusing and don't tell the story quite as effectively as they should the the draw for Bayonetta's story is you're an amnesiac trying to remember who she is and what she's doing. And I think when looked at through that lens, um, this idea of exploring this island and trying to find the connections to your past makes it become something a little bit more engaging. It, it becomes something a bit more active. Yeah. I think that amnesia... Trope, the amnesia trope gets a bad rap. I do too. I think there's a lot of like, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of stories with very lazy like, and he doesn't remember anything as like the catalyst, but it can it can be used in interesting ways. And I think that like, in a game in particular, if done well, 
amnesia can be like a really interesting kind of drive for the player to go out into exploration. Yeah, so that was that was the note I wanted to end on. Um, video games can have terrible stories, but if those stories g- drag you into the world with them, then hey, good job. <laughs> and if they make you read for five minutes before the game lets you play, <laughs> that's not always great. You that's want, usually not great. You want me to read the rest of the no, Alien Soldier? I, mean, I really off, don't. Off, hey, everybody, thank mic. you for listening to this week's episode of Backstage Gaming. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you didn't mind that it was a little bit that <laughs> and that I didn't have to, anything prepared, but it was still fun. I had a good time, uh, and yeah. I hope you did too. You're a bit more resilient than you think, so I, I think... I try to be. You, you kind uh, of rolled with the punch I gave you. It was a big punch. It was a very uh, big punch. <laughs> If you like our show, remember to please leave a rating, a review on iTunes or wherever you're getting it, whether that's Spotify, uh, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and tell your friends about it. Tell your family. Tell everybody that you're interacting with, which I hope is not many people because there's still a global pandemic on, so stay inside, kids. Uh, Also, remember to check out our website, bsgpod.com. That's where you can find info about the show, and you can get more details about me and Dylan, and even reach out to us via our contact form. Go check it out. Uh, Yeah, if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter, where our handle is at bsg underscore cast. Uh, We also have a YouTube, and we might upload a Let's Play of Alien Soldier. I, yo, if you can figure out how to capture it, I will absolutely hop on a call with you and play this game i i have it on steam so uh that might be that might be the way to go all right it's a date let's Um, figure it out if you if you have any date suggestions for me and chris you should use that hashtag bsg pod (laughs) also huge thanks to our friend brennan french for the key art he has provided our uh show um, if you dig his stuff you can find him on his squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com uh, that is B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphen French dot squarespace dot com. You can also find him on Instagram dot com slash Brennan French Arts or on Twitter where his handle is at Brennan underscore French. You should also go check out our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio, Volume 1, Instrumentality. And you can find all of his music by going to his SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com slash BioQuery. That's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or by searching for BioQuery on Spotify. Thank you, as always, to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. It's a great network full of podcasts about video games, which I assume you could have figured out from what I said before, but hey, here it is. Also, so if you like anything to do with those things, you should go check them out on Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork. And thank you to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod. Your support is the reason we are able to do this show without losing money, and that is incredible, and we are so grateful for that. So... Thank you for thank you again to our patrons, and if you like the show and want to support it, go check out patreon.com slash bsgpod. That's the best way to do that. I think that's it for this week. Thank you for bearing with us, and <laughs> hey, Dylan, why don't you read us out? Oh, I, I thought you weren't going to let me. In an attempt to activate the space-time continuum, She-Tiger ordered an attack on the Sierra's research laboratory for children.